Hello there and welcome to episode 10 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hiya. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So it's 10 weeks of the Hawthorns Debate Club. As you can hear, I was going to say, the boys are absolutely buzzing about that. I know we said we're going to wait on popping the champagne till episode 100, uh, but it does feel like a little bit of a mini achievement that we've reached, a, a milestone of sorts. Like I've had some fairly significant moments in my life, the birth of my children, my wedding, but week 10 of the Hawthorns Debate Club perhaps eclipses them all. And what a week this week has been in our little part of the world. It has been practically tropical. We've all come out of lockdown and all the restrictions have been eased in England. And the weather has done the gentlemanly thing and decided it wants to be like the Mediterranean for a while. With the final result being I am sat here right now sweating, sweating hard. Um, But I feel I can share that with you all because this podcast is a safe space. So let me start by saying thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today. Genuinely, without you, we wouldn't have made it to 10 weeks. So feel free to pause the podcast for a moment and pat yourself on the back as you've been part of 10 weeks of a special, special podcast. So for this week's podcast, our emotion of the week is gratitude. So please continue to spread the word. If you're feeling especially lovely, you can leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now. Don't be shy. Write a review that will alleviate all of my insecurities. But this week, I want you to continue to feed the Hawthorns Debate Club machine by using the podcast as an excuse. Like, for example, if someone says to you, do you fancy coming to the pub? You will respond either as soon as the podcast finishes or simply, I can't tonight. I'm listening to the Hawthorns Debate Club. This will demonstrate your commitment to the podcast. Is this fair? Absolutely. Good. Good. I'm pleased with this one this week. I can't lie. So it's been a week, including some hot, hot, friendly action that we're going to chat about in a little bit of time. I wanted to start the podcast, however, by saying a massive congratulations to the West Brom Power Chair team. It was a, an immense and tense showdown with Aspire Power Chair team on Saturday morning. We saw Albion come out on top with penalties deciding it. Albion managed to hold their nerve and composure and came out, in my opinion, absolutely deserved winners i'll be honest it was my first time watching power chair football Uh, those guys let me just say do not mess about and so i'm delighted for everyone involved with the team that they won so many many congratulations to them it's a great place to start the podcast before we get into a little bit of news and news that's perhaps a little less friendly a little less exciting around the club reports emerged this week from the times that there's an investigation pending or about to begin into a £3.7 million loan, which has increased to now almost £5 million that was taken out under the Jeremy Peace era. Guys, can you give us a little bit more information about this? Yeah, so I had a look around earlier today and I can see that there was a loan taken out 2016 for £3.7 million, as you say, Jamie. With interest, that's now increased to around £5 million. The Times reported today that Jeremy Peace has welcomed this investigation, saying that he hasn't done anything untoward or improper. He said that the loan was agreed on commercially attractive terms. So he's kind of saying that you know, this, there's no issue here. He's done everything by the book. And apparently there's a, a meeting next week 
between the shareholders for Albion, who represent a number of small shareholders, and one of our favourite guys, Ken, to discuss the loan and potentially getting paid that money that we're owed by West Bromwich Albion Holding Company, I think it is, rather than the football club. Yeah, I think what the discrepancy and what is being discussed and the shareholders for Albion is around what did he take the loan out for? Because there's a bit of, it's been alleged or they want some investigation into, did he take that loan out to benefit himself to buy the rest of the shares to have more of a majority? Or what was it used for? Because I don't think that's ever been explained. And I think that's what shareholders for Albion and Ken are meeting. And Jeremy Peace has come out and said, no, nothing was uh, untowards. It was done for the best interest for the Albion and everything. So basically, watch this space, isn't it? Well, not us. Watch the Times or the Athletic. <laughs> We're not going to be before them, I suppose. Yeah, I think, like you say, Joe, I think there's more to follow on this next week. I think it'd be really good to get some closure because I know that this has been knocking around for some time now. So it'd be good to try and close this, this issue off one way or another. It'd be nice to pay it off as well. <laughs> you know, not have this loan outstanding, to be honest. Well, for anyone tuning in to the first times this podcast, we always like to lead off with some hard-hitting financial reports to get people especially excited for the pre-season. <laughs> so before people start switching off, because it's not the most exciting piece of news talking about the finances of the club at present and the shadow of Jeremy Peace still looming of the club despite him having sold up a few years ago, we'll best move on to something a little bit more juicy and a little bit more exciting but as the guys say, there might be more news breaking about that over the next few weeks that could be significant and important to the club so we will keep you posted about that This week on his very own podcast, The Fozcast Ben Foster uh, broke a little bit of interesting news to his guests on there, he was asked the question who do you support, what football team do you follow and he broke the news there that he's a baggy for life did you guys see the clips that were doing the rounds yeah i saw it it's brilliant no because everyone loves ben foster he's a brilliant yeah. uh legend yeah he's a legend at the albion and yeah he left for watford but he left for good, better things for himself yeah he was just saying that he's a baggy for life he was there for seven years and he can't wait till his kids are growing up so he can start going to away games and staying in hotels and enjoying the albion and i think that's brilliant because Every time you see Ben Foster, I know he's been doing the rounds quite recently because he did the GoPro in the net for Watford and all those YouTube clips are brilliant. If anybody hasn't seen them, go and watch them. They're brilliant. And he brings it into the changing room and speaks to all the lads. I just think he's one of the best people you would want as a fan. He's just like a really family man. I just think he's just he's just a lovely guy and he's just I was just so excited by that clip where he said he was a baggy for life. Imagine imagine going to a away game and bumping into Ben Foster and having a pint with him would be brilliant. Just to add to what Joe says, really, he's a charming man, isn't he? I, I just love the time he was on Dragon's Den. Can't remember exactly what he was selling to the Dragons. You know, I just remember thinking, this guy, he's got, he's, he's got really good energy about him, really good vibes and, yeah. you know, nice chap, isn't he? One of the best goalkeepers we've had at the Hawthorns as well. Yeah, I think that was it, wasn't he? He wasn't just a brilliant goalkeeper. He certainly comes across in all of these interviews, as you said, Joe, where he's been doing the rounds recently. He's really articulate. He's really well-spoken. And he, and he talks about really interesting topics. And obviously, there's this whole thing with the GoPro in the goal. And I thought some of the funnier clips that you've seen of that is when rival players started cottoning on to the fact that he was doing it. So when they score, they'd come on up and pick up the GoPro. And, and he loved the banter. I think that speaks to his character. He seems like a really great guy. And 
and like you say we'll all be trying to bump into Ben Foster at away games and at the Hawthorns well that's a lovely bit of news that gets to lead us into all of our transfer every week we'll try and keep you updated on all of the latest news stories circulating around the Albion even if they are about financial crisis we hope to bring you more lovely stories about former players as well and current players but to transfer carousel we find ourselves heading once more some interesting reports broke this week that seemed relatively contradictory to many of the things that have been reported earlier on in the preseason. when the euros began there was many reports circulating that albion had what was described as a competitive transfer budget even the phrase war chest was used at one point with a figure circulated on some perhaps less reputable news sites saying that in the region of 60 million pounds now there was a caveat to all of that that may rely on players being sold particularly Pereira and Johnston which has been well documented this summer Joe Massey in last week's episode of the Baggies broadcast also further clarified that transfer budget and the use of the word competitive by saying that because of the COVID and the financial crisis in the EFL that competitive could mean anything available to spend whatsoever because the vast majority of teams will have no budget whatsoever and so that kind of puts into terms that perhaps when Albion fans heard at the beginning of the summer that we had a competitive budget that that might not mean that we'll necessarily be splashing the cash and then reports have emerged in the last week that that is very much the case that there apparently now is very little money liquid assets available for the transfer of players what do you guys make of this whole i don't want to say it's a turnaround but it certainly seems like um, a little bit of a deflating bit of news about the budget when i first read ken's statement you know he was using a lot of subjective language he used language like competitive budget and things it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be spending tens of millions but at the same time i respect that they don't give you the the hard numbers because you don't want like a, a chairman to come out and say, you know, we've got fifty million pounds to spend. Because going into a negotiation, you know, that's <laughs> you're setting yourself up, really, aren't you? So, you know, I, I get it. I, I, you know, it's still quite, you know, three, just under three weeks left before we start the the new season. It's probably longer with the uh, the transfer window. But I don't think it's that bad yet. I just really don't want like a deadline day mayhem episode this year. I agree. I think with the budget, like you said, uh, Alex, it's uh, competitive is such a broad word. With selling Pereira and Johnson, which I think is 99% going to happen, we're going to get around, if it's 30 million, 40 million, we're still going to ha- we're still going to be having a lot more than even probably Sheffield United and Fulham, to be honest, because they they don't seem to be selling or they don't have the assets that we have, which are great resale and uh, sellable assets like Pereira and Johnston. We've got some quality players there already. You know, we've got Carlin Grant, didn't really play last season, so he's going to be like a new signing. We've got Robinson, as we all know what he can do in the Championship. Did it for Preston. He did it on loan for us to a point. And then also Dean Garner, if he gets back to his form, we've got brilliant players, so I'm not too worried about it. And I don't want the fans to get on the back saying, oh, we need to buy all these players. If Valerian Ishmael doesn't need those players, he ain't going to buy them, is he? So that's what we got to wait for. I think the reality of it is is that at some point, Albion will spend some amount of money this transfer window. I don't think it's a case of if we will. I think it's when we will. Obviously, I think the amount of money spent will be largely dependent on the sale of Pereira and Johnston. At this point, I'd say that it's more likely that Johnston will be sold 
seems to be very, very little movement in the market for Pereira. With Frankfurt, apparently this week, registering a little bit of interest and West Ham. But until these kind of teams come in with concrete offers, it seems difficult to look at Albion spending, I don't know, 20 to 30 million pounds on players. But still, even if we don't spend anywhere near that, I think like you both said, we're still by a large margin probably one of the more well-resourced teams in the league and also one of the most attractive teams in the league for players. I think you can't look past the fact that, I think it was said in the broadcast again, the Baggies broadcast, that for £2 million that we spent on signing Valerian Ishmael, the compensation that we agreed for that and to get Moa in for that, it's a brilliant bit of business. And for now, we've got to look at what we've got in the current playing squad. But also, I like the fact that Valerian Ishmael has broadened the net, so to speak, and is now scouring all of the youth. And we've seen at the various friendlies that he isn't shy about putting youngsters into at least the subs bench to see what they've actually got, see if they can fit into his system. I think one of the things he said when he first arrived, he doesn't need the best players. He just needs players that will fit his system. And I think for us, then that means that if we don't go out and sign a £15 million striker, well, that's fine. We've got to just trust his process and his system. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You saying we got, can't go out and buy a £15 million striker, we put, did that last season with Carl and Grant. I know we're paying True. Klarna finance on him, but <laughs> I don't know how we got away with that. But hopefully he shows up this season. Yeah. We're going back to Pereira and that Frankfurt interest. I believe that they're the closest team to getting to what we want from some of the reports I've read. I don't know if they're reliable or not, but I'd love him to go to Frankfurt. I'd have a second team in Germany then. Yeah, that's you know, a good it'd be, it, it, It'd be brilliant. But if I was him, you'd want to play in the Premiership. It's the biggest league in the world, isn't it? He did it last season and he could do it for a different team. So all the best to him. I think for him, going to Frankfurt almost feels like a step back in career. I know that they're in the Bundesliga and that's not meant to be disrespectful to Frankfurt or Bundesliga or the nation of Deutschland altogether. But I think in terms of what's within reach for Albion when essentially what will be is back in the championship next sorry back <laughs> I hope I haven't like prophesized there hopefully we'll be out of the championship next season and back into the premiership and realistically he's contracted to the point where he only has to wait a year and I know then this interesting idea has been bounced around of him potentially being loaned to West Ham for a season so he still gets his premiership football but then would come back to Albion next season to continue playing Premiership football at the Albion. Yeah, I wouldn't be too opposed to that, Jamie. If we get a good loan fee, for say if we get like a £5 million loan fee and then get Pereira if we, if we get promoted or if he performs well, we don't get promoted, sell him for the £30 million. You know, we would have made £35 million out of him. So I, I wouldn't be so upset about that, to be honest. No. no, it's certainly one of the more creative solutions to this whole Pereira saga. And it, it does feel like it's starting to turn into a little bit of a saga. It's been, since the end of last season, really, he's been linked with various teams. I think every week on the podcast, we've had something to say about it. And although nothing has formalised or come in, it certainly seems as though there are sharks sniffing a bit of blood in the water, potentially around the sale for him. Moving on from players leaving the club, perhaps it's nice to hear a, a few players linked with the club 
obviously everyone gets excited clicking refresh on news now i know i do uh, waiting for the next story to emerge about who we're linked with and i get sucked in by all of these super low tier reports about us being linked with all these different players and i get excited about that but some of the ones that have perhaps got a little bit more credibility about them none of them have been confirmed really by any of the journalists that would kind of really give them a lot of credibility but an interesting player who's caused a a lot of emotional hurt to Albion in the last few years, plays for local rivals and also had a pretty significant hand in chucking us out of a playoff semi-final. And that's Connor Hurahan. He did the end of last season on loan at Swansea. By all accounts, he had an amazing few months there. And obviously at Villa, he was key to them getting promoted from the championship and had a really good run in the team in the premiership, to be fair. But I think He's been superseded by various players there. What do you guys make of Conor Hurahan and the links there? I'm not opposed to it, but it's not. Again, it's like Matt Clark. It's not the sexiest type of transfer, is it? Getting someone who's Villa's. Out, he's an outcast now. They want to. They put him on loan last year. I know he's a great player, to be fair, and for the championship level, he'd probably do a job for us. Just wanted to give you some Wikipedia facts about him. He's Irish and he comes from Cork, and he's five foot eleven, which I didn't think. I thought he was smaller than that, to be honest. When I've seen him play, so yeah, he's, well, a, uh, probably... a lot of footballers are small compared to you, Joe. <laughs> that's very true and, and, and not as many footballers are that sexy when compared to you as well and I think that's where we've got such a high bar now for incoming players oh yeah but no but going back to his Swansea loan from the Wikipedia facts here he had 19 games and he scored 5 goals which is a brilliant return for Swansea anyway and that would have helped them get into the playoffs so I wouldn't be opposed to it but if there's any other players around who are a bit younger and over there in Ishmael likes younger players, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So it may be it may be one of those ones that he's been offered out to clubs and we're one of the clubs that would take him. So it's been one thing's led to another and press are saying that we're interested in. Yeah, I don't know what to think about him, to be honest. Like you say, I don't think he's, he's not exciting, is he? Um, he? He strikes me as being the type of player that he's got attacking quality and he you know, he can nick the odd goal, but defensively, he comes undone. But I've got very little, ex- I've not watched him many times. So I'm not, not that sure. But, you know, hearing that he's done well at Swansea, that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, from one I've ever I've seen him play, devastating on set pieces. I really think his delivery is is really top class. I think, ultimately, I think a lot of Villa fans, when you spoke to Villa fans about Conor Hurahan, they would always say that he has like elite set-piece taking ability. I think the problems that are, is like you say, defensively can be a little bit vulnerable. I also think energy, moving around uh, and getting about the pitch is something. And when you hear about Valerian Ishmael, and I know many people listening to this will have watched uh, parts of the Woking game uh, and seen the type of football he wants to play, you can see that it's going to require a lot of energy. It requires a lot of movement of the players. It requires constant pressing and counter-pressing or, or whatever you want to say. Uh, and for me, I, it doesn't seem instantly obvious that Conor Hurahan would be a player that would fit into that style of football. I think, as Joe said, perhaps it is one of these links that just seems to make a lot of sense. He's probably got a house locally and 
Albin looking in the reed for central midfielders and the links have been made like that. Perhaps a more exciting and sexy name. I don't know if the name's sexy, but certainly the player himself would be a little bit of more attraction to many Albion fans. Liam Delap, son of Stoke catapult legend Rory Delap. He's a Man City player. He's only 18 years old. Extraordinarily prolific, as I'm sure we'll find out according to Wikipedia in a few moments' time. I think he played in the Champions League for Man City at various points last season. Really exciting prospect. I mean, as I said, super prolific. Joe, what does Wikipedia say about Liam Delap? Well, last season in the Premier League 2, he played 22 games and scored 24 goals and provided six assists, which is ridiculous, that is. It's mm. Mbappe Harlem style, isn't it? It's one yeah. of those. Yeah. I know he's not playing at, it's not the level of competitive football as either Premier League or Championship. But if he can score that, he's got something in it. He's got, he knows where the net is. And not that he reminds me of, but those type of, when I think of people who know where the net is, it reminds me of Kevin Phillips. And I hope he's something along those lines because Kevin Phillips knew where the net was. Uh, Not getting all the Albion hope up saying he's a very Kevin Phillips player, but that's what I think. Al, do you have any hot takes on Liam Delap? Yeah, I mean, when you said that, Joe, 24 goals in 22 appearances, my conical fell out. Um, (laughs) You know, I thought that was, you know, that is like, that's ridiculous. That's like playing football manager and having a Premier League striker for in, in the uh, League Two or something like that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that, that kind of player. I know there's, I think there's six other clubs that, is, that are linked with him. But if we can get hold of him, I think that would be a real coup. And I think that from what I've heard, the loan market's much more extensive in the championship, so you can utilise it more. Um, I think what I, all I'd look at him and say is he looks like a proper unit, to be fair. I was shocked when I saw him and found out he was only 18 because he looks like the best part of a fridge, do you know what I mean? He's a big lad. Part of a really exciting young Man City academy. Um, I went to see them actually a few years ago. They played at Bescott Stadium and it was the FA Youth Cup final and him and Tommy Doyle, who's another name that's actually been linked to the Albion. They're both extraordinarily talented. Stood out on the pitch, of a pitch of incredible young talent and these guys were head and shoulders. And I think obviously they're day in, day out training with Pep Guardiola and De Bruyne and Mares and Aguero up until recently and all of these world-class talents it's going to have some sort of impact and effect on them. And, you know, Tammy Abraham was part of that season at Villa. We've had Dwight Gale and Harvey Barnes. If you get a loan right, it can go a long way to getting you points that get you up the table that eventually get you into the positions you need to be to play in the Premiership the season after last or next. So a lot of the positions that Albion are trying to fill at the moment are fairly obvious. Most people seem to realise there are certain areas in the team that are weaker than others. One of the positions that I guess is really on people's radar is the striker position. To bring it back to football manager, as Alex has said, everyone loves signing a striker. We have plenty of forward players in the club, but perhaps none that fill that number nine role. Obviously, in Bai Diang, was there last season. There's been some rumours about a potential move back for him. Galatasaray not asking for a big transfer fee. Any news there? Or feelings? Your feelings are important. So, Diang, I'd take him, but I just think we he's way... Right, let's just clarify quickly. Yeah. Take he's him a... in a bout? <laughs> take him in a bout. In the, in the <laughs> octagon? What are we talking about here? <laughs> take him as a club. 
He's a big guy as well, so I don't know if I could take him as a person on person. So no, I, I think he's a, he was great when he started at the Albion. I think he petered out at the end, but in the Championship he'd be brilliant. I suspect if Valerian Ishmael can get his shooting boots on, he'd be a brilliant player in the Championship. I think it'd be a good signing. You know, he's obviously scored a lot of goals in Turkey. If he can score goals in Turkey, I'm sure he can score goals in the Championship. Sign him up. I think ultimately we saw a limited version of Diang. You were probably in one of the, well, the hardest league in the world. And you've also just come into it midway through a season. You're in a team that's kind of clinging on for life. And all of a sudden there's this huge expectation on you to score the goals that are going to save them. I think he was really, really unfortunate and unlucky. I know he was offside an awful lot, but some of those offside decisions that went against him were so fractional that I really felt that he's, um, he was just unlucky. Some of his chance creation, his ball control, his hold-up play, his uh, ability to bring midfielders into it, I just think it's second to done, really. I think it'd be a great, if we could get him, for the fees that are being talked about, but I obviously agree with Joe, the sticking point seem would probably be his wages. Um, it's likely to demand quite high wages. Um, but if we could get him, I'd definitely, definitely take him. Those little reports and snippets out there as well about Keenan Davis, Villa, player obviously scored a, a kind of heartbreaking goal against us at the end of last season. What would you guys think about Keenan Davis? You've seen much of him. Have you opened up his Wikipedia page yet? Where are we at with Keenan Davis? Yeah, I'm not really sold on that one. I think that, again, because he's around the area, I think it's one of those ones. I think he needs to be going to, not that I'm his uh, agent or anything, he needs to be going to someone in the lower, maybe Birmingham, to be honest. Someone at that ilk, you know, like middle, maybe push on to a late storm into the playoffs, but not for the Albion, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a game record to me. Al, how about you? Yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't really want him. Like, he doesn't look like he's got a very good shot on him. Like I say, I haven't got vast experience of watching him play. I've watched like two or three games, but what I have seen of him, I haven't really been that impressed. I don't think he's good enough for us, to be honest. No, he's never been prolific at any point in his career. Like I said, I've never particularly followed Keenan Davis, but having spoke to Villa fans in the past, especially after he scored that goal, none of them have been particularly impressed with his career at the Villa. However, they have said that perhaps if he did get a little bit more game time, he could go on to be a really good player. So you never know. Whoever we get, I'm sure Valerian Ishmael will have vetted and will approve of in order to fit in the system. And I'm just like I said earlier, trust in the process. In funny news, actually, I was talking to someone about talking about uh, one of our key staples of the podcast, player heights. Um, someone told me the other day that John McGinn is six foot one. Does that seem crazy to you? Like he looks like genuinely looks like a hobbit. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I, I can't see that, to be honest with you. He, you know, he doesn't look that big at all. I'd say maybe five foot nine, five foot. ten. Five <laughs> foot. I thought you were just stopping there. And I was like, five foot, wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if we go back to our reliable source like we always do, it says he's five foot ten. That's still taller than a thought. He's a great player, to be fair to He is a really good player. There was also um, the same youngster who I was talking about he was mentioning that his PE teacher is Paul Agnew former West Brom legend Paul Agnew is a PE teacher now so that was quite an exciting comment so that's why I trusted him when he told me about John McGinn's height but obviously that youngster is a liar moving on yeah another bit of cool transfer news Kravinovic oh gosh this breaks my heart a little bit talking about Philip Kravinovic because he's like the what could have been story for me I know 
Alex, he pulls on your heartstrings as well. I loved his smile. I loved the way he played football. He's technically brilliant. It was like having a little version of, well, not a little version, not a John McGinn version, but it was like having our own pocket-sized Modric in midfield. He really was such a wonderful player, never frightened to play a progressive pass. And I was gutted when we saw him go out the door. He had a period at Nottingham Forest. There was a few links bringing him back from Benfica to Nottingham Forest, but he has moved on to Hajduk Split in Croatia. Uh, there's been some photos released of him posing with the shirt, the manager, uh, not quite having the same level of charisma and didn't have the same ability to win you over with a smile like Philip does. But it's great to see him getting kind of a, a move from Benfica where he's really been pushed onto the fringes of things. But it's just a shame that I'm still good that things didn't work out at the Albion. A question for you. If we still had Kravinovic, do you think Pereira would want to move? Kravinovic leaving the club made me want to move. So I don't know about Pereira. I know they were obviously best friends and there was all of these cute pictures on Instagram of when they met up on holiday, even very, very recently. I think it, we sometimes dehumanise footballers and we, we kind of think of them as like these assets and these machines that go into a pitch and try and execute these plans. But I do think they're just people like me and you. And I, and I do think having friends matters. And I think the way that thing was handled probably wouldn't have sat well with Pereira seeing his best mate walk out the door. And, and I think it would be crazy to think that there would be no impact whatsoever. I know he's a professional football player and he's not probably sobbing in the changing rooms, like looking at pictures in his wallet of Filip Kravinovic. But I'm not saying that's not happening either. But I ultimately think that... I've Yeah, I think there would be, it would be inhuman, inhumane to think that it didn't have some effect. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, with Kravinovic, when we were playing that season in the Championship, a lot of people were saying, like, Kravinovic is the perfect Premier League player. I think it would have been so interesting to see him play for us more last season. I don't know if he's the calibre for Premier League survival, but I don't know. And again, I don't think his his makeup fits into an Ishmael team. You know, good to see he's got it's the best team in his home country, isn't he? I mean, you mm-hmm. were just talking about, you know, footballers being, you know, having personalities and being human. Who who wouldn't want to play for one of the best teams in your country? Mm-hmm. Fast, I don't know. No, it's a really good point. And I'm going to say it now. The catchphrase of the podcast. I totally agree, Alex. I think it is uh, just a fantastic opportunity for him. Probably gets to be really close to family and his other friends. I, I imagine they competing for Europe and whatnot as well. Competing for European positions in their home league as well. So no doubt we'll see a little bit of Kravinovic in some European competitions very soon. Well, that kind of wraps up the majority of our transfer stories, hopefully over the next couple of weeks now before the season starts. We'll have a few more concrete stories development. But we're going to move on now from last week's game at Salford. What was their nickname? Did we find out what Salford's nickname was? Salford. I'd say it's something like the uh, Tigers or something. Joe, do you want to hazard a guess before Wikipedia informs you? The Amis. (laughs) What? (laughs) The Amis. It's uh, derived from being self of being amateurs. Ah. Is that actually a nickname? I thought you were just uh, you were just throwing something. No, yeah, it's the Amis. I thought you'd conjured something absolutely amazing out of thin air there, but um... the Amis. That's such a that's a rubbish nickname. That is, isn't it? I'm going to be on the phone to Gary Neville straight after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it does because they're badges, like a lion or a tiger, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> that is genuinely so much better. The Mufasa. 
<laughs> and people say it like that in the crowd. Mufasa. Anyway, so we beat Mufasa and Co. And then we've moved on to what was Woken's nickname? The Cardinals. You know, I'm interested to understand what Cardinals has to do with Woking. Like, is it something like, should they be called something else? Like the, the Wide Awake or something like that? Uh, I mean, yeah, a play on words. <laughs> <laughs> So last Friday, we played Woking in a friendly. It finished 1-0. Obviously, it was available to watch. Uh, I saw many people asking for links on Instagram and whatnot. It was available through the club's website. Did you guys get a chance to watch any of this game? Obviously, it was the first game for public consumption. Some mixed reviews, um, but what did you guys make of it? Yeah, I watched it. I think it was good that some of the fee for watching it went to charity, which was good. But yeah, it was just it was a friendly in the end of the day. It was literally just a friendly and one eleven first half, another eleven in the second half, basically. And Zahor got the penalty at the end, won the penalty himself and then scored it. Fair play to him. But yeah, there were some good performances out there. I know everyone's raving on about this Castro. He did stand out. He's a tall lad. He likes to move the ball, run with the ball, and he, he looks he looks a decent unit and what we probably do need. Not to compare him to, well, I am going to compare him to a Yaya Toro. You know, like they glide with the ball, yeah, yeah, and push, and the people bounce off him. Don't think he's as strong as him, but they looked really good, and that was it, really. Oh, what did you make of the the friendly fixture? It was a pre-season friendly. You know, Woking were time-wasting and taking it very casually, you know, and it was it was a very, like, slow, difficult game to watch, to be honest with you. But for me, the few players that stood out were Dean Garner. I thought he looked electric. I think he's going to have a really good season. Phillips, I thought he played really well. Kipre, I thought looked good. Yeah, and good. Um, as with all the other fans, I think uh, Castro looked really good as well. Um, I think he's going to turn into a right good player. Yeah, I think when we tune into friendlies, it's been so long since we've been exposed to club football. And I think particularly in the case of Albion, when you have a new manager come in, it's not just a new manager coming in. There's such a prominent style attached to the name of type of football that's meant to be so in contrast to what we've been exposed to. We've been replaying cautious, patient, defensive football. And all of a sudden, we're kind of being teased with these rumours of this super aggressive, super exciting football. And I think all of us wanted to turn on to the Woking game and just for our screens to set on fire with excitement at this blazing football being played and I think that the, the very nature of it is is it's the first time they've ever played a match against opposition that isn't essentially a training match and it had all of the trappings and window dressing of a friendly and the result doesn't matter at all but we still won um, and when you look around I mean not to just play comparison because I know it is just a pre-scene but a lot of teams in preseason so far this season, big teams have really struggled against lower tier opposition. Walls lost to Crew Alexandra. So I do think that although winning isn't everything in a preseason, it's certainly nice to register a win. I think it's helpful for the players to just see that the system does work. And if all of the rumours are true about this Castro, I know that there are things circulating. They might not be a certainty for the first team, but. It's really good to see all these players that were on the fringes and kind of even Kipre, who had been seemingly cast aside altogether, and Zahore probably lumping there, are all getting opportunities. I will say one thing about Zahore. The guy is an absolute tank. He really, like, I thought Jake Livermore is a, a bit of a unit, and I think we said it on this podcast. When you see pictures of Zahore, 
training next to Jake Livermore. He's, I mean, he's twice the size of him. It's unbelievable. He's a really powerful-looking bloke. So who knows where that might go. Alex, you've said something really interesting in our notes here that perhaps the, the quality of the Euros influenced our, our viewing pleasure of this match. Yeah, definitely. I think we were spoilt by the quality of the football at the Euros. Loads of goals and quality football. And then to get watch a pre-season against Woking, who trying to get a draw, puts you back down to earth, I guess. With a bump. Gareth Southgate did his best to prepare you for the Woking game, though, by making England as boring as possible. So it's not too much of a... No, not too much of a drop down. I had to get it in. I'm still not over it. But then perhaps even more we picked up. We had a behind closed doors game against Sheffield Wednesday. What day was that? Tuesday? I think it was yesterday, weren't it? Which is Tuesday, yeah. Yesterday, which was Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) But not for you, dear listener. Yesterday wasn't Tuesday for you. And just in case you're confused now about where you are in the week, we played Sheffield Wednesday behind closed doors. Some lovely pictures emerged of Big Dave and Dion Burton posing together, which was really lovely to see. Again, all of the reports emerging from the game. Albion playing really impressively. And one particular player standing out, netting himself a brace, Matt Phillips. And the conversation has kind of materialised now out of this game. Does Valerian Ishmael see Matt Phillips as a potential solution to this question that we've even addressed already in this podcast of the number nine? Obviously, a lot of our attacking options, even Carlin Grant, who was brought in to play striker, Callum Robinson, who has, in a previous incarnation, fulfilled that role, but all prefer to play wide. Could Matty Phillips potentially be our number nine this season? What do you guys think? be honest I'd like to sign an out and out striker not someone who's learning the position because he's, he's how many positions does he play for us he's played right wing back mm-hmm. right wing left wing probably left wing back middle of the park he played under Sam Allardyce but you know he's a uh, veteran in the championship and in the premiership now so I still think he could do a job there but I'd rather sign an, an out and out number nine to be honest true to our nature I'm just going to completely agree with Joe Nothing more to add to that, really. Cheers, mate. I think my thoughts on Matty Phillips being number nine is that he has always had this knack for a goal in him. I think, obviously, he's always been a pacey player, incredibly powerful. So not just quick running with the ball, but he has the ability to power past people. He was like really direct player. And obviously, he always had that ability to kind of whip the ball in. But of recent, I've noticed... Um, Obviously, with his frame, his speed isn't quite what it was, um, but he still had a knack for getting into positions and picking up really, really important goals. And I think if that can translate, positionally speaking, to a striker, um, his finishing is really kind of, can't question his finishing because he has got so many goals over the years. But I wonder, I do wonder whether um, he is the long-term solution there. I think I'm in the, the camp with you guys of saying I would like to see us go out and buy a striker and perhaps use him as a kind of a versatility option, a bit of a Swiss Army knife player, really, going forward. Any more thoughts on the Sheffield Wednesday game? Yeah, I just want to shout out to for Connor Townsend. He assisted both goals for uh, Phillips, and we're going on about Phillips, but Connor Townsend, he played brilliant last season, and I think he could be the best left-back in the Championship this season. I've heard the tagline, Connor Carlos. Yes, being, please. Being, 
put around and yeah I, I agree I think he's going to be really good this season yeah so do I I mean I'm really hopeful that he's going to kind of kill it to be honest obviously there's a few more pre-seasons for your calendar the Hornets on Saturday the 24th of July and the Saddlers on Tuesday the 27th before finally landing with the Blue Noses on Saturday the first, 31st lots of people commenting that it's been a really busy pre-season period for the Albion really keen to get as much game time for these players as possible and I think that's really good really because hopefully by time the season runs around we're going to be up and running essentially and and really kind of well versed in Valerian Ishmael's style of play and to kind of come out of all of the friendly chat today we're going to talk about something that emerged on Twitter over the last week if you've got Twitter don't forget to share and retweet the podcast make sure you let all your friends and family know about us but on Twitter we saw a, a post by the WBA official retweeting something by Grady D and Garner it's really impressive really because we obviously see these players and as I say, we can have quite a one-dimensional view of players. We, we want to see them on the pitch on a Saturday afternoon and show off their talents there. But obviously, these guys are multi-dimensional human beings and they have so many talents. And Grady Dean Garner had his sketchbook out and it turns out he's an absolutely amazing artist. I mean, the picture that he was drawing in this picture, really kind of staggering how good it was. Uh, and so we and the, the guys were on our WhatsApp conversation and we were, we were kind of discussing what hidden talents do the Albion squad have? And so Alex and Joe, and very, very recently myself, we've put together some of the list of players and potentially what we view their secret hidden talent as being. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to throw out the player and then one of these guys is going to say what they believe would potentially be that person's hidden talent. So I thought I'd start with one of the more aggressive players from the end of last season, someone who really started to make his mark as a potential leader in the dressing room, Kyle Bartley. had a little bit of infamy at the Arsenal game with a few comments that he made that were picked up by a pitch-side microphone. Al, what do you think Kyle Bartley's hidden talent is? So I think Kyle Bartley's into his gardening. I could see him after a a three o'clock kickoff, getting all his anger out, and then just getting home, mowing the lawn and watering his flowers. He just seems like he's got real green fingers and it just looks like he could get on with the garden, I think. A bit of horticulture. Kyle, green fingers, Bartley. Don't leave me hanging there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that one went really, really well. Right, next player. I want to kind of move on to one of the, the more recent signings. Obviously, we didn't see too much of him last season, but Carlin Grant. Joe, what do you think Carlin Grant's hidden talent is? I don't know. I've, I've gone for video games, so playing FIFA. He's a bit of a younger character. Fortnite. More, yeah, Fortnite and all that. So, but, I think know, the like, fact that you called them video games there has just aged you substantially. Like, I think that's yeah, what like, grandparents called them. I think it's being called a gamer now. That's what the oh, kids yeah. are calling yeah. it. I'm going to go for Grant for that one. Grant the gamer. Right, let's do another one. I want to talk about some more unusual hobbies. I mean, I think obviously gaming and gardening are the two ones that people talk about first, but perhaps something a little bit more unusual. So can you give me something a little bit more unusual for potential exity? Johnston, we have something a little bit more creative there. So, so I think Johnston, I'd, I'd have him down as a beekeeper. <laughs> Is that because of the net, like the netting that you have to wear? 
Yeah, I think because he's used to being around goal nets, but he's also, he, he must like a bit of danger, like being a goalkeeper, having the ball pelted at you. You know, he must be up for a bit of like living life on the edge and, you know, handling bees and whatnot. I think people who are extreme personalities and like to live life on the edge often are beekeepers. I think that is considered fairly extreme. It's one of the most high-octane jobs going. <laughs> Right, let's do another one quickly. Ah, oh, let's do, well, I mean, the, probably the most talented player we've seen at the Albion in some time, Mateus Pereira. What do you think he's getting up to in his spare time? I think because he's got the flair and he's got that way of playing and he's, you know, like that type of looseness. I think he could play the guitar and I think he'd be music type. It'd be kind of like metal, but like Steve Vai a bit, you know, like that 80s type of thing. Yeah, and with his yeah, with his pal Kravinovich on the drums. And uh, that's the group. And that's what they're going to do afterwards. And that's why See, they keep meeting up for band practices. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like the idea of this kind of flamenco guitarist, perhaps, but that incorporating that into his shred. But to be honest, yeah. Jamie, every metal album does have that one track where it's more acoustic you know, like a yeah. spit of Spanish guitar. So I think Bring in the per- flavour. Very good. We'll do a couple more of these. How about someone we're predicting big things for this season, Connor Townsend. What do you think his hidden talent might be or hobby? Al, what do you think? I thought there were, I thought of a few. Like I thought train spotting, stamp collecting. Like so real an exciting nor- guy then, yeah? Real northerner type hobbies. And I ended up with coin collecting. Um, so I think that... You know, he strikes me as that kind of character. You know, perhaps even he's got his own model train. You know, that kind of old school kind of hobby. But, you know, he strikes me as quite a that kind of guy. You know, he's into the old school. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I mean, no, I mean, all of these kind of old school hobbies, as you say, man. There's nothing wrong with them. I think if I found out that kind of Townsend was into coin collecting, I'd be well impressed. To be fair, actually, to be honest, now if I found out that he's not into coin collecting, I would be a little bit disappointed. I want to see tweets of him posing with his collection. Okay, let's turn the question back on Jamie. Al, let's go for a club legend. He's uh, in the backroom staff. Brunty, what do you think Brunty's hidden talent is? I, I have thought about this before the podcast. I thought about this quite a lot more than I probably should have. But I can very much imagine Chris Brunt walking into a room filled with other enthusiasts of this hobby as well, donning a cloak. I think Chris Brunt is a Dungeons and Dragons enthusiast. And he's a he's a level three paladin, sure enough. That's what I reckon. And I reckon <laughs> I could, I could, he's into his I goblins, could... his orcs, his axes. The guy is loving life in a fantasy forgotten realm basically a warlord (laughs) (laughs) and the only reason i say that is because i'm a geek as well and i've just got no one who wants to play dungeons and dragons with me so chris brunt if you're listening to this can we be friends (laughs) i think that will do with little hobbies if you've got any suggestions for players and hobbies that you think might attach to them please do message us we've had some fun thinking about this in our whatsapp group this last few days so if you have got any that you think would be funny please do message us we'd love to hear them and if you're really really funny we'll definitely put them in the podcast for next week just in terms of some podcast news just to update you with what's going on obviously while the euros are on we kind of fell into a schedule of recording on thursdays and releasing on fridays we're hoping in the next couple of weeks to kind of migrate back towards a tuesday it's taken us a little while to do it at the moment just because of the limited news. By time Tuesdays come around, it's not that much to talk about in total honesty 
um, but we're trying to shift ourselves back uh, because we think when the season comes along, uh, it's going to be of great benefit to kind of bring it earlier in the week. However, we will keep you posted and obviously stay tuned to the Instagram and not the Facebook, but the Twitter page. We will um, obviously keep you updated about what's going on there. Guys, have we said it all? I think we have. Well, we've said as much as we're going to say. Let's put it like that. And all that remains to be said then for today's episode of the Hawthorns Debate Club is a big thank you to Alex. Cheers. A big thank you to Joe. Cheers. And thank you for listening. We'll catch up with you next week.